If you're new here, I've been gone for four weeks, so if that seemed a little strange to you, I apologize. Uh, my name is Reverend Angie. I am the associate pastor here at Blackwater United Methodist and also the lead pastor of this community that we call The Table. Uh, for those of you that are in like the front row area, I have to explain myself for just a second. It's still a little dim in here, but when we get to the sermon part, uh, I've got dark lipstick on today, and I had a very tight mask on, and it has smeared it all the way around my mouth. So if you're wondering why I look kind of like Moira from that show on Netflix, um, that's why. So I am I'm just giving you a heads up that I'm aware. I know, I know it's there. I tried to get it off in the bathroom, and it wouldn't come off. So we're just going to have to do this thing just like this today. So it is good to be back. I have been gone for four weeks, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to be here for a minute, guys, because it's been a while, so <laughs> make yourselves comfortable. Um, I have, uh, my family was out for two weeks with COVID, uh, and we have all fully recovered. We're all feeling great. We're all doing very well, so I thank you for checking on us. I thank you for your prayers, and I thank my teens for, like, pulling Christmas off like making everything happen with me like incapable of being around anybody. So like if you guys could just give them all a big round of applause because that is such a hard time of year for church staff, for church leadership, and our like staff and leadership, you guys are just the best that there is to have. And I didn't have a worry in the world. They did such an amazing job. So I'm so thankful for all of you. And, and, and I knew things were well, well cared for. Now, I, we were sick for two weeks, and it was very inconveniently timed on the front end of what was going to be um, a vacation with our family. So it meant that we had planned for two Sundays off. Um, and, and initially, that vacation was going to be to go see my family in Oregon. Um, but then once COVID cases really like boomed, we were like, that's just not wise. So we're not going to get on an airplane. We're going to go to Big Bend National Park, which if you don't know where that is, it's like Southwest Texas. It's in the desert. It's like the Rio Grande divides Mexico and the United States. And you go to that park and you get to like put your toes in the Rio Grande. And maybe, I mean, I'm not admitting this openly. Maybe you let some of your kids walk across. I don't know. Um, I, I neither confirm nor deny anything. Um, so we, we were all, all the way down there where they had a record snow event in the desert. Now, our family has a very strange track record with vacations over the last few years. So this was like the vacation that was going to redeem all vacations. Um, you know, our first our vacation in Mexico a couple of years ago, we got there. My husband's passport was expired, and they sent him back to the United States. Uh, the next one, we had like a traumatic loss in our family, and we had to rush back four days into our three-week vacation. So this was our first family vacation since those two things had happened. And a record snow event occurred while we were there in the desert. In the desert, we slept. We were tent camping. We slept in 28 degrees, um, and let me tell you, if you buy the proper gear, it's manageable. It's cold. It's cold. You wake up a few times. You have to make sure that the mummy hood is, a fit, like, really over your face, but, but, but it's manageable, and we had an amazing time. So the snow did not put a damper. It actually made the, as you can imagine, snow in the desert is quite beautiful to see. Um, it, it was beautiful, and, and when there's snow in the desert, you can see where animals have been. So you got to see all the different tracks and um, proof that wildlife is, in fact, following me. <laughs> um, it, but it was, it was absolutely a beautiful vacation. Our family came back well-rested with a lot of really good family time. And I'm just so excited for what 2021 has in store for us as a church family. It, it was a great week to really, like, pray in the wilderness while we were hiking and just uh, ask God for a vision for 2021 for us. And I'm just so excited. So you're going to hear me say over and over again, like we are claiming 2021. Um, last year, COVID really like kicked us in the shins. <laughs> uh, this year, I don't care what COVID had to 
has to say about it. We're still going to be safe. We're still going to practice, but we're still going to make sure that we are making disciples for the glory of God in the world. So we're going to get back to doing uh, the work that we have done uh, previously, and we're going to have an amazing year. So one last thing. I know you guys are like dying, but like I have so much to say. Oh, I didn't do like the basics. So when, when you came in on your chair, there is a connect card. So if you are new here, we really need you to either fill out one side and there's baskets in the back that um, there's baskets in the back that you can drop it in so you can fill out this side. Um, or you can scan the QR code on the front and that will bring you to our online connect card. And this is how uh, we're going to send you an email that has a little gift to say thank you for being in church with us. Uh, and this is just how we get in connection with you further, get to know you a little bit better, see if you have any questions, make sure that we send you information if you request it. So this is what you do if you want to get to know us a little bit better. Um, and then there's a giving envelope. And so what we ask is that if you have brought um, giving this morning or your, um, your tithes or offering, we ask that you put that in the envelope and you can put it back there in the baskets on the way out. If you are a guest here, this is what we say every single time we get up here. We ask that you not put something in the giving envelope because you feel compelled or because you feel like you're supposed to or should. This giving envelope is how we do the work and ministry of our life together as a community. This is how we make sure that we have free donuts and free coffee and how we do all of our awesome events that we do in the community, which is a little weird right now, but like that's coming. Um, this is how we do what we do here. It is how we make an impact where we live, work, and play. So what we ask is those that are committed to the life and ministry of this community that you give and you put that in the envelope and put it back. If you're, in the get, if you're a guest, thank you for being here. It's a part of our hospitality to thank you, and, and please don't feel like you have to put something in there. All right, back to what I was going to say. So... I'm in the spirit of 2021 and like claiming new things for this year. I have to tell you what I did yesterday um, because it really like scared me and really shocked me and, and I'm really excited about it and I want to encourage all of you to do something that scares like the daylights out of you, okay? So in the spirit of 2020, you got to do something that scares you because you know what I did yesterday? I went to jujitsu. I went to a jujitsu class. I walked in there, and, and like this decision was made yesterday morning. I'm watching a documentary, and I used to watch the UFC like years ago, and there was a fighter on this, on this documentary that I, I knew of, and I was like, you know, I always wanted to try martial arts. Let me see if there's one in Central. So like I email them, like those non-committal things you do, I'm going to email them and like never respond. Like, I'm going to email them, and, and they're, they're either not going to respond to me, or when they do, I'm just going to, like, pretend like I didn't see that, because this is a momentary whim. So I email him and say, hey, I'm interested in your adult beginner classes. And he immediately emails me back, great, are you available at 10 this morning? <laughs> and I was like, um, yes. Like, I'm literally in my house watching a documentary, so yes, but like, this is not, okay, yes, 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 I'm ready. So I go to this class, and um, it was as awkward and embarrassing as you can imagine it was. There were like kids on one side with a mom and a couple of dads sitting on the bench, like watching their kids, and then there's me and one other adult man who I guess decided at nine o'clock that morning also that he should try jujitsu. And so I get there thinking that they're going to like just, so I'm in there and like, you know, like, running clothes, you know, like yoga stuff. And, and so I think that they're just going to do like a, here's some stretches and this is what we do. And are you interested? But instead he hands me a gi. <laughs> he hands me like the uniform and tells me where to go change my clothes. And I'm like, oh, so this is like really happening. <laughs> okay. So I go and do this and I have to follow all the rules and we get out there and he shows us all of these moves on the ground, which I proceed to flop myself all over the place and look absolutely ridiculous. Like I'm pretty, I, I'm pretty agile. Like you, you throw me in a gym and hand me weights and stuff. I'm pretty good at looking at someone doing it and I can make my body do that. Like I'm pretty, if I can see it, I can do it. 
This is the most awkward. I have no muscle memory for jujitsu. My body has no idea what to do. So he kept on having to come over and like put me back in position. And if you are married and have been married for a long time, let me just tell you how strange it is when you have been with someone for 20 years to all, all of a sudden have a man that close to you in the vicinity. And I was like, oh, I didn't even tell my husband I'm here. Like, do I have a phone call to make? Like, I don't know what to do here. But they're so good at making you feel comfortable. They're so good at, like, just staying completely professional and completely on task that you're only distracted by that by, like, two seconds. And so that was the awkward part, okay? But then it came to, like, they show you all that stuff. But then he's like, all right, so now we're going to roll. That's a jiu-jitsu term. All right, we're going to roll. I mean, it's like wrestle. And he says to me, so he shows me, like, you're allowed to grab the gi to get someone down. You're allowed to do all those kinds of things. And he's like, so here, here's, I want you to try and take me down. Okay. <laughs> I can do this. And so I did. Like, I, I mean, obviously he let me take him down. But, like... <laughs> The wrestling part, that part felt very natural. Like, I have an older brother, and I've been with my husband since we were pretty much kids, so I don't know, maybe we've wrestled. Um, and so, like, the push and pull and figuring out where to put arms, uh, like, that felt very natural and very good, although I was out of breath in, like, one minute, and I thought my heart was going to pop out of my chest. Um, and when we stood up, and he passed me off to the other instructor, and he said, um, this one's got spirit. She's scrappy. And I was like, yeah, she is. Yeah, she is. Least awkward part of the entire day was that moment right there. So I'm going back, and I'm going to keep doing hard things. So in the year, in the spirit of claiming 2021, I want to encourage all of you to do something that scares the living daylights out of you, that is going to make you completely awkward, completely uncomfortable, completely remind you that there is nothing you're really good at, and do it anyway. So, with that, let's hear some music. <laughs> well, we're going to try to follow that with a song. <laughs> you're welcome to stand if you want to and sing with your mask on, or you're welcome to just sit down and let the music flow over you as we go into worship this morning. Restore on the 
You're the fire in the morning. You're the cool in the evening. Breath in my soul. You're the life in my bones. There is no hesitation in your love and affection. It's the sweetest of all. Cause Lord, I
touches of heaven that you bring into each of our lives. And God, I just ask that as we go into this message, that the message that I have is for your people and that their hearts are softened, their ears are open, their minds are open to what you would have them hear this morning. So regardless of what comes from my mouth, God, let it be your word, your spirit that they receive. We thank you, God, for community, for being with one another in this space, and for the opportunity to learn more about your will and your desires, not just for us, not just for our life, but the will that you lead us into in the world so that you can be revealed. Son's name we pray. Amen. I am so excited to be doing a message again. When um, I got here this morning and hearing the band like warm up, hearing the music of the space, it just like overwhelmed me. And I w I've been so excited when I got into our sanctuary service. Our, our lead pastor, Reverend Patty, she's not here this week. Uh, her father-in-law passed away uh, this week from COVID complications. So if you could just be praying for her, for her husband and the loss of his father. But so she's not here this week. So I was doing the, uh, er the sanctuary service uh, in our sanctuary and getting in there. And, you know, when it's the early service, it's super quiet. And I'm like so amped up to be back in church that like when I'm when I tell everybody I'm like to, to stand up and greet one another and they're and they're you know they they they're super excited to see each other but it's hey you know it, but you have your mask on so it's kind of quiet in there I'm like man I'm gonna need y'all to like say something like I'm so excited all right so. Uh, last week, you guys got to have Reverend Sam Hubbard in here, and Sam is a good friend of mine. I would consider him a friend, a coach, and um, if you know anything about the Enneagram, some of you have done that with us here, uh, Sam, like me, is an eight. So Sam is the only other pastor I know that like can say I can be I'm I can be described as being forthright, maybe maybe like speaking very clearly and intently um, and unexpectedly. Is that a nice way to put it? <laughs> uh, Sam is the only person that doesn't flinch when I say something that like I'm deeply feeling in the moment. Um, sometimes with emphatic language, and so uh, Sam is we are kindred spirits in that sense. And Sam also. Um, we have similar backgrounds. We both come from unchurched backgrounds. We are both fully dedicated to communicating the gospel to people and about the transformation of the church. And so he is like my person that I'm, if I'm like looking for, what are we doing in the church or where are we going? Like Sam is like my sounding board. He's also the person, um, sometimes I, I get to, I get very, uh, mission focused. And so that means that sometimes I forget that feelings are involved. And Sam is the same way. So if I call Sam and I don't want to get bogged down in feelings, I'm just trying to get to, like, I'm trying to solve a problem, Sam, like, is not interested in my feelings any more than I'm interested in his. And so, you know, we were able to, like, just carry on and try to solve a problem together. That doesn't mean that we're not caring people because when we get to the end of the conversation, we do care about each other's feelings, but we are mission first. <laughs> and so we, we get that about each other. So um, I was able to listen, I was on my, I was driving home from our camping trip and was able to listen to the service because Michelle, our media person, is awesome and had already gotten it uploaded so that I could listen to it on my way home. So Sunday, Cohen, my son and I, um, which speaking of um, feeling alive, let your teenager drive you through Houston. He did an awesome job. I mean, awesome job. But, like, talk about uh, living on the edge these days. Um, but uh, we listened to Sam. Like, why, we started to listen to Sam while we were going through Houston, and Cohen was like, um, I'm going to need to concentrate here. Can, you, can, you, can we wait on the sermon? <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. So I, I was able to listen to it, and um, he lied to me. He told me that y'all threw coffee at him because he hurt your feelings. 
and then I listened to it, and no one threw coffee at him. I was disappointed. <laughs> That's just a joke. Um, but I was able to listen to, like, what he had to say, and he did a great job, and I'm so thankful for, like, fellow pastors that I can trust, trust with my people here, and that, like, I know what Sam is going to come in here and do. Um, I know that he's going to do the work. I know that he's going to, like, research his content, and I know that he's going to be super fun. Like, even just listening to it, he's got so much energy. I could picture him. I bet he was, like, like talking to everyone. I don't, and he's so much cooler than me. He's got a stool. Like, he's got a stool up here with his music stand while he looks, and then he talks about Call of Duty. And I'm such a mom that I'm like, video games. All right, so that aside, thankful for Sam. Today is Baptism of the Lord Sunday. This is the Sunday in the church that we celebrate the baptism of Jesus. This moment in the story of Jesus where, where when we think about baptism, you know, we think about being reborn. Or if you've got, if you've got a Baptist background, you might have think of being saved. Um, I like to think of it as like conversion. This moment where, where Jesus has the Holy Spirit come down from heaven on him. And it's not that Jesus needed to be conformed for his next pass, but to receive what was to come. So for us, that's a little bit different, but for Jesus, this was this moment where the heavens opened up to him, and Jesus hears the voice of his Father from heaven declare, you are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. This is a big moment. That's how it's documented in Mark's gospel. It's a little bit different in other ones, but just for clarity's sake. But immediately after this big moment, when Jesus has received the Holy Spirit, the Spirit sends him into the wilderness where he is then tested by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights. And then when he returns, this is when Jesus begins to call his disciples. So Jesus was trained in the Jewish faith. He was baptized and then just starts his ministry works a little bit differently for us, doesn't it? For us, things are a little differently ordered. Some of us begin our training as early as infanthood by our parents. We are brought to the church and we are baptized as infants. Then some of us, like me, don't have any training whatsoever until we are adults. Some of us are baptized like children age, some of us much later. But for most of us, no matter how we found ourselves as faith people in the church, I mean, I hope this is true, but no matter how you found yourself as a faith person, we all have a ministry. We're all called to do the work of Jesus in the world whether we've had training for it or not. Which can lead to some things being um, a little messy sometimes, right? Like the church has a reputation of being a little messy at times, and it's because we are all disciples. We're training, we're learning. I can remember when I first got into ministry, so my first job in the church, it was nine months after I had been baptized. So I was baptized, and nine months later had my first ministry job. Now, some of you don't know what confirmation is. Um, in the Methodist church, it's typically done around middle school age. We, we baptize our infants or, you know, children, depending on when you did it. Uh, and then at in middle school, at some point, we do confirmation where kids are kind of educated on these are the beliefs of the United Methodist Church. This is, you know, how we do things in the church. This is what being a member looks like. Um, we do all of these classes, and then they get to make the decision for themselves, do I want to receive Jesus for myself? So it's not a re-baptism. It's a confirmation of that baptism. So they're confirming the act that their parents made the decision on their behalf when they were young, and now I choose this for myself. So, kind of a big deal, right? Pretty big deal. 
So I'm given my first job in the church nine months after being baptized. Never heard of confirmation. Don't know what it is. And they handed me the keys to the program. So needless to say, that was interesting. Um, but I, I had also not developed a discipline. So, so I came to the church going to, uh, I first started going to a church just because I was pregnant and looking for community and good Southern moms seemed to take their kids to church. So I was like, I'll try that. Um, I really wanted to be a good mom. So let's see what happens. And so I started going to church, but then I found, uh, I, I had my son and I had seen in their little newsletter that they were going to have a mom's class that summer. So I found myself in a mom's class and I, I just fell in love with those women. And that became like my church that to people who don't grow up coming to church on Sundays, like a small group is where like transformation really, really be, I mean, small group is where transforma transformation really happens in general, but we don't have that like core going to church on Sunday morning since, so my small group became that. So I'm working for the church, and on Sunday mornings, I've got a three-year-old, and I'm pregnant with my second child, and I'm all of like 24 years old. And so it made perfect sense to me that during Sunday school, I would bring my, my son to the nursery and, and check him in there. I would make sure Sunday school's all ready to go. And then I'd go to my office and get like my work stuff done in the office. And then when everybody else is done with Sunday school, I mean, where they go? They go to church. And, but like that seemed very um, a waste of time to me. Uh, I, I was like, I'm going to stay in here and get my work done while I've got childcare. And like while they're all in church and no one's in the office, this is perfect. Because when you have not grown up going to the church, the music, the, the altar, the, especially in like this setting is a little bit different, but like the, the setting that I was in and I was first uh, introduced to was in more of like a traditional setting where you had hymns. You said the Apostles' Creed. You said all of those things like in the service every single week. You passed the offering plate, like all those things that you do in kind of a more traditional setting. If you did not grow up in that setting, all of those things don't mean anything to you. They're meaningless, like that you, you don't understand. It's like going to a foreign country and you don't speak the language and you don't have a travel guide and you're just observing what's happening. So there was a disconnect for me as a disciple that like it didn't make sense to me to go to that because that wasn't really doing anything for me so I might as well stay in the office well that was all fine until like my one-year review in the church we have a committee that reviews you every year um, it's kind of an accountability factor they review us pastors they if, if you want to complain about me you can go to this committee and then they like bring that to me I mean, say it to my face first, but like that's the that's the process. <laughs> um, that's a joke. You can talk to them in private. Um, don't tell them I said that. Uh, but I get to my one-year review, and now I was a young Christian, a young person. I know now, looking back, there were definitely things that should have been said in that one-year review. There were absolutely criticisms that should have been made on like my performance but it was such a good and faithful and like loving community that they just wanted to encourage me they really really did and I'm so thankful for that upbringing now but like that's not how I roll like it, I, I probably could have used a little bit more um, guidance on what was expected but the one thing he did say was like Angie like you're you've got great you're doing great. We're so proud of like the, the ministry that you're doing. You're doing a great job. But there's just this one thing, and like a few people may have mentioned that um you you don't you don't go to worship. Like you don't go to the worship service. I'm like, oh, well, I mean, in my mind he's just saying I don't I'm not showing up for work. So I'm like, oh no, I'm in the office. Like, I'm here. What are they talking about? He's like, oh no, we know you're here. But you do know that as a staff member of a church, like, you're required to go to the worship service. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> like, so I learned two things from this situation, okay? One, read your job description very clearly. It was in there. Um, two, 
what is most convenient is not always what is most prudent. It was more convenient for me to be in the office because I had a young child, so I had care and like no one would mess with me. Um, but it did get in the way of my growth. It did get in the way of my learning. So another, another blunder was deciding um, at that young age with two small children that I was going to lead a parenting class, that this is what children's directors do. They lead parenting classes. So like I organize this class and I sit down, I look around the room, and all of the parents are at least a decade older than me, and all of their children are at least five years older than mine. So um, I had a lot of learning to do from them, not me like teaching them. It, it was one of those situations where I really had to learn that um, you can't teach what you don't know. Literally can't teach what you don't know, but you can lead and learn from others at the same time. You don't have to know everything to lead well, but you have to know what you don't know. So there were a lot of moments still are, of me falling on my face and God just scooping me up and saying, do it again, maybe do this a little bit differently. And I hope that all of you have had like similar experiences. I hope that you have done enough in ministry to know what it feels like to be humbled and fall on your face a little bit and have to pull yourself up and do it again. Because that's what we're here to do. That's what discipleship is. It's training. It is learning the way of Jesus. It is attempting to get this thing right. So last week um, when Sam was here, uh, I know that he like began this series, Follow Me. And so this is actually like my first week in it. But what we're looking at over the next four more weeks we're looking at who were these uh, most zealous and, and fervent and like devoted, who were these disciples in the early church that we can learn from, things that we need to bring into our lives and hopefully bring people like them into ours because it's a both and. We, we need to try and model that kind of discipleship, but we also need to have those kinds of disciples with us. So this week we are, we're talking about Saul, who becomes Paul. So if you've heard of Paul in the Bible, he's kind of a famous and infamous kind of guy for, for all of his letters and the work that he did. Um, but he began as Saul until his conversion. So we're in Acts 9, and Saul um, is described as still breathing out murderous threats against the disciples of Jesus. He is a Jewish man at this point. He is zealously trying to capture all of the Jew or all of the people who are following Jesus and bring them to be held accountable for going against the Jewish faith. He is he, he was there and um, condoned the stoning of St Stephen, so he's um, been complicit in murder. He has been complicit in making sure they were all captured. This is not the guy that you really want to hang out with if you're not a very righteous and upstanding Jewish person. So where we are in the scripture today, um, Saul has gotten letters from the chief priests in order to um, allow him to go to Damascus and round up all of the people who were following the way. Um, and as he's walking, a bright light flashes from the heavens and he loses his sight, and he hears the voice of Jesus ask him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he's blinded, and so he has to have his travel companions lead him to Damascus. It's been three days, and he hasn't eaten or had anything to drink, and he doesn't have any vision. And he goes to Damascus where Jesus has told him that he has to go. And waiting there is a disciple of Jesus, and his name is Ananias. And Jesus has told Ananias separately to find Saul and restore his vision. 
So where we are in scripture, this picks up right after Jesus has told Ananias to restore Saul's vision. So we're in Acts 9, 13 through 25. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Israel. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, I love that word in scripture. When you see immediately in scripture, it's a word used to like, draw attention to make you go like something's about to happen like that word was a literary tool to like capture you immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again he got up and was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. So here we have Saul. And from here on out, I'm just going to call him Paul because pretty soon in Scripture, they're going to change his name. So just so we're all on the same page, Paul. Paul is well-trained in the Jewish faith. He has all the knowledges. Knowledges? Has all the knowledge. He has all the practice of discipline. He has all of the fervor considered to be a good Jewish righteous man. He believes in his God so much and takes his faith so seriously that he has made it his personal cause to round up the disciples of the way and commit acts of violence and murder to condemn them. Hardly how we would want to describe a faith person today, is it? So the challenge here is that Paul believes in these moments before his conversion, Paul believes that what he is doing is the righteous thing. He believes that he is doing the right thing. And I think this is what makes him the perfect candidate for what Jesus was going to call him to. So I wonder, what background of yours has made you a prime candidate for a radical conversion? What is it about you that could be converted in such a way that God is glorified? Did you grow up in the faith, grow up with a faith in Jesus, and then at some point lose your way, and now you feel God calling you back? Will will devoting your life, putting God back at the center of your life, will that conversion speak volumes to those around you? That when they see your life begin to take order again and begin to become wholesome again, because God is at the center, would that be a conversion story that brings just radical transformation and testimony? 
Did you grow up in the faith and maybe have stayed faithful the whole time? Maybe you never lost your way. You've still been a part of church. You've still been a part of community. You've still shown up. But maybe you've lost some of the qualities of a disciple. Maybe you've grown hard of heart. Maybe your words have become harsh. Are you critical of other people? Are you fearful? So if this is you, would a radical conversion of you be to change your demeanor, to change your posturing? Not just with other people out in the world, but what about even in your home? Could the softening of the heart toward the other side glorify God in a way that would speak volumes of the God you love instead of the convictions that you love? Or maybe you haven't grown up in the faith at all. Maybe this is new. And maybe your conversion story is what happened when you didn't know God and now you do and everything about the world looks differently. I'll be honest, I I fall a little bit into all of those categories at this point in my faith life. While I didn't grow up in the faith, I've been a Christian for 15 years, and I have my own convictions that I love and have to remind myself that God is bigger than my earthly convictions and that God's grace is bigger than my sin or your sin or their sin. So there's a few things that I think we can learn from Paul because we're all following something or someone. It's the nature of who we are. We're all following something or someone. We all have that capacity to follow someone or something radically. As Jesus followers, we must be mindful of what or who we are following. And to do this, I think Paul modeled five things for us. So one, Paul took his faith seriously. Faith was not Paul's side piece. It was not his Saturday or Sunday business. For Paul, and I think there's a number of reasons why Paul, why Paul was chosen, but I think one of the number one reasons um, that, that God kind of chose him was his just radical pursuit of God, radical nature. But here's the other thing about Paul that became extremely useful. Paul was educated. Paul was educated in the scriptures, and he was also educated in Greek and Roman culture. He knew his stuff. He was not a stranger anywhere that he went. He knew who people were. He knew how to adapt. He knew his stuff because Paul took his faith seriously. Paul also surrounded himself with other disciples. You see in that conversion story that once he experienced conversion, he immersed himself with other believers. This is just one of so many examples in scripture that we have that says we have to be in Christian community. And it's not like sitting in this room. It's getting around tables and people's homes. In February, we're going to relaunch groups, and I, and I highly encourage you, strongly encourage you to find a group and commit to it and stick it out and build some new relationships. Because if there is anything that the Bible teaches us, it's that Christian community is vital to our growth. So three, when this is something for Paul, you know, have you seen that meme? I got it wrong this morning when I said it in early church. I'm going to try and say this correctly this time. Um, the, the, the quote that goes around that believe who people are the first time they show you. Like, have you seen that going around? I've seen that going, like, essentially saying that when you give someone a second chance and they show you that they aren't going to change, like you should have believed them the first time, it's really anti-Christian, like, Don't forgive anybody. Just believe them the first time that they're a jerk and don't go anywhere from there. (laughs) But I see a lot of Christians sharing it because it like, 
because we've all known somebody that burned us a second time, so it, like, it feels like we get a little bit of a dig when we post something like that. But like, what Paul did was a little bit different, and so I, I want us to hear this from Paul. When people don't believe who you say you are, you have to show them. And you have to be okay with the fact that you have to show them. If we spent all of our trying, time trying to explain ourselves, trying to explain that we're, we've turned a new leaf, or tried to explain that I didn't mean to, or whatever, I mean, apologize always. But like, when people don't believe that a conversion has happened, you don't have time to convince them. You have to just show them. Just do the work and show. And they'll either come alongside you or they won't. You've got too much work to do. So, uh, Paul still showed up regardless of anybody's doubts or intimidation by him. Paul still showed up and just got about the work and teaching that Jesus is the son of God. All right, so number four, Paul immediately began leading. Paul had his conversion experience. He had surrounded himself with disciples. And then if you see that last line of our scripture, who was it that dropped Paul down into the opening of the wall? Who was it? Anyone remember? His followers. He immediately had followers. He had disciples. We have to understand that to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, we should be following the example of fellow disciples and the examples we have in Scripture, but also... We should be leading others. It's a both and. It is a mutual relationship between following and leading. All right, so number five. Paul took risks for the sake of the gospel. As we'll come to know in the, in the coming weeks, we're going we're gonna to talk about a few more travel companions of Paul's. And, um, but Paul risked his life. He risked his reputation. He risked his friends, his community, so that people would know that they had been saved by Jesus. So that people would know that that truth was real. It was not to the benefit of the political power at the time. It was not to ensure the geographic boundaries of Jerusalem. That was not the work that Paul set out to do. It was so that people would know that God's dominion on earth had overcome all of this earthly stuff that we humans find ourselves following. Paul risked everything so that Jews and Gentiles would know that there is a God who lived among them, who died among them, and had redeemed them no matter who they were or where they had come from. It was not an easy job then, and it is not an easy job now. And it never will be an easy job. Paul was radically for what he had been raised to know is true and right, and was zealously doing the right thing on behalf of his people and his God. And it wasn't until Jesus literally caused him to lose his sight, physically could not see, that he was able to see a new right, a new way, a new truth. This is Paul's story, and this is my story, and this is your story. It is the story of any person who is given even an ounce of this sacred faith whether it be from how you were raised or because you found Jesus from some stranger along the way, however you found this sacred faith. This is our story. So this is my hope. It is my hope for me. It is my hope for all of you that in this pivotal and very strange time that we find ourselves in, that we will be a people who share the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus in such reckless ways, with such radical love, such deep compassion, 
such intense listening, and when God commands it, bold speaking. But those who we encounter who to even attempt to diminish what is good and what is worthy of God's love in the world will be given a bold reminder of just who has dominion in this world. We are the bearers of that. We are the messengers of that. We speak of God's dominion, and I hope and pray that our people will be the kind of faith bearers who will have followed Jesus so intently, so seriously, so radically, that our lives, our demeanor, our posture towards people, our love will speak volumes louder than any political party, any liberal or conservative rally, and certainly louder than any social media platform. Now, some of you may not be interested in this way of life, but if you're here, I'm going to assume that you are. At least I hope that's true, but I believe that to be true. And for me, I choose to follow Jesus. As complicated and harrowing as that path can be, I have devoted most of my adult life to intensely follow Jesus, and I get it wrong all the time. Like, all the time do I get this thing wrong. And for a long time, and I would even say in that first decade, when things got hard, my faith wavered. Even while serving the church, even while being in ministry, when there were hard times, I doubted the truth of Jesus. But now, when things get hard, I doubt the truth of people. I doubt the truth of myself, the truth that I try to tell myself. But I no longer doubt the truth of Jesus. Because being a disciple of Jesus, studying the scriptures, being in worship services regularly, not because I have to, but because I genuinely like being here, <laughs> praying, fasting, serving, and loving those that I vehemently disagree with has been the hardest and truest thing that I have ever experienced in my life. I told you a little while ago that this was going to be our year, that like we're claiming 2021. And I really, really hope that you will claim that with me. Because I want us to claim this year as boldly as we claim the title of Jesus follower because I want us at the end of this year, no matter what this year ends up looking like, because we don't know. It could be worse. But here's what I want us to say when we get to the end of this year. That the truths that we carry do not diminish in the face of what is happening in this world at a given moment in time. They do not. Because our God is eternal. And our God knows a thing or two about redemption, about restoration, and about resurrection. He knows a thing or two about that for me, and for you, and for those that we vehemently disagree with. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the uh, people that we find ourselves in community with. We thank you for those that... Uh, we vehemently disagree with because they teach us something about us, they teach us something about the world, and they teach us something about you because your grace is big enough. Your grace is big enough for all of the mess that we make of things. So God, let us be the bearers of your dominion in this world. Let us be the sacred faith people who bring about light and your glory through our radical love. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite our, our band to come.
what? Oh, oh, did I go like way over? I mean, guys, it's just been so long. I had so much to say. All right, wow, yeah, it is almost noon. So um, I'm going to invite you to stand. Thank you for bearing with me this morning. I, didn't, I hadn't even looked at the time. I was having so much fun up here. All right, so one of the things we do here at the table is each and every week we say this blessing together. And we say this blessing together because here's the thing. I want our people to have these words so that if somebody ever calls upon you to give them a blessing as a sacred faith bearer in the world, these words will be within you. Maybe it's in your job. Maybe it's in your neighborhood and somebody has reached a catastrophe and you're the only Christian they know, which is not that uncommon these days. You will have words that you can use that have been said over people for thousands of years long before Jesus walked this earth. If you're not comfortable saying these words, we invite you to let them fall upon you and we hope that someday you'll take that next step and say those words with us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift his own countenance upon you and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen. Have a great week, everyone.